Hello, everyone. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and welcome to the Van Maren Show on LifeSightNews.com. This is a special report on what is going on in Hong Kong right now. Uh, Many of you have been following the events that have been taking place there over the past four months. You've been following the protests. But many of you might be unaware of the fact that there is an angle to this story that most people have missed. I know many people have seen the videos of thousands and thousands of Hong Kongers singing hymns in the streets, uh, holding up their phones. And a lot of people have recognized that there is a Christian element to these protests that has gone uh, largely unnoticed and almost entirely unremarked on in the mainstream media. And so to give us a report... uh, on what is actually going on in Hong Kong and what the Christian aspect of all of this is. I contacted Alessandra Bochy, who she's just returned from Hong Kong where she was covering uh, these protests. She wrote a fantastic report over at First Things called The Fate of Hong Kong's Christians. If anybody wants to go and check that out, you can also find her uh, on Twitter and Instagram. And she was kind enough uh, to join me for an interview on exactly what's going on here. And here's what she had to say about what is going on in Hong Kong and what today's news might mean for the future. So just to start off, a lot of uh, people are kind of confused about what exactly is going on in Hong Kong. They're not quite sure who the players are, what the protest is all about. So maybe you could just explain to our listeners exactly what it is that's going on over there. Yeah, so the protests in Hong Kong started out peacefully um, to to uh, fight against this extradition bill, which was passed by uh, the Hong Kong government, which uh, basically basically claimed that uh, any suspect uh, who escaped into Hong Kong from mainland China could be extradited back to mainland China. Um, the Chinese government assured that this would ex- exclude suspects uh, involved in political crimes, which was the main concern. But, um, the Hong Kong people involved in the protests don't trust the Chinese government to make these calls because obviously it's an authoritarian government and, um, it has used, uh, other crimes, sometimes fake crimes, um, to prosecute people on, on a political basis as well. Uh, so it all started off against this ex, which also undermined Hong Kong's autonomy, because Hong Kong is a special place. Right. Basically, when the country, when the region was handed over to uh, China uh, from its former colony, Great Britain, uh, in 1997, the agreement was that it was a one country, two systems. So one country, Hong Kong was part of China, but it had a separate system, including a separate legal system, which was based on British common law and on principles like uh, democracy and freedom of speech and freedom of religion. Um, and this bill risks undermining uh, this special status that Hong Kong has. And so when this extradition bill got put forward and the, the protests started, uh, how did these protests come about? Because I, I, the images that have been beamed around the world are, are just extraordinary. You see hundreds of thousands and at one point a million people. They're all marching in the streets. Yeah. Uh, they're doing things like tearing down facial recognition polls, which like that, that that's such a, a grotesque Orwellian term, this facial facial recognition term. And, and so what exactly... 
how how did the protest come about? Are they just this spontaneous combustion, or are, or is it organized leadership? What what constitutes these protests? No, it's actually yeah, it's, that's a really good question. It's a leaderless protest, um, and that's really the main point that it comes from the people, and that's why you see 1.7 million people uh, on the streets with really no uh, leader. They all I was there during the protests, and they just take turns to chant their different slogans. Uh, there's not really one person organizing them. I mean, they're organized. It's also very decentralized the way that they organize through these chats, online chats on Telegram, for example, where they can't be surveilled and intercepted for their activities. And they're all really careful about keeping their identity anonymous because, like you said, there are these facial recognition cameras. Um, and they also use lasers to um, stop those cameras from recognizing their faces. Um, so what I didn't say before is the protests evolved, actually. And while at the beginning they were peaceful, they started becoming more violent as police reacted. Um, and then it just turned out into full-out uh, clashes between the police, um, riot police, and uh, the more, let's say, militant protesters who were willing to confront the police. Uh, the overwhelming majority were peaceful, and at the end of the marches, they would just leave, especially the children and the el- elderly. And then the young protesters who were willing to confront the police would remain. And so when, when you have a movement that is leaderless, how, how did they emphasize their demand? So is it was it just collectively what they were opposing specifically was the extradition bill? They wanted to ensure that China could not extract people from Hong Kong, even though it's a, it's a territory of China. And so how, how did this, this sort of leaderless protest, uh, very decentralized in its organization, as you just described it, how did they make their demands known in, in a comprehensive way? Or is it just one of these extraordinary moments where there's no central organization but everybody's singing from the same uh, songbook and everybody wants the same thing. Well, everybody really wants the same thing from what they say, and the protests evolved. At the beginning, it was just against the extradition bill. Then when clashes took place with police um, and there were abuses on behalf of the police, um, there there was another demand, which which was to have an independent inquiry into police brutality. Um, And then they demanded universal suffrage um, for the Executive Council, which is the, go- the Hong Kong government, which has to be prior approved by Beijing. Um, and they don't want that. They want to be able to elect, um, you know, whoever they want to elect without Beijing's approval. And you said that Hong Kong is part of Chinese territory. That is true, but it also has, like I said before, a special status, and it has its own identity as well. They speak a different language. Hong Kongers, they speak Cantonese. And they have a separate legal legal system, and they really have a different understanding from mainland China um, in terms of their economy, in terms of their uh, society. It's just very different culturally and politically speaking, and even legally speaking. So the protests have been going on uh, for months, and and at first they just withdrew the extradition bill, and the protests continued because that wasn't good enough. And one of the one of the really interesting aspects of the story, and you wrote a phenomenal piece on this for First Things that I would urge everybody to go and, and, che- and check out. It was really fascinating because I had seen these videos circulating, and I noticed that you you shot one of these videos yourself of thousands of protesters singing Christian hymns. 
which was yes. kind of came out of the blue. The reason I actually found your article on First Things is because I went hunting for an explanation as to why Hong Kong protesters were singing, uh, were singing a Hallelujah to the Lord and, and and these other hymns. So maybe you can explain for us what the Christian element uh, of all of this is and what the cr- Christian concerns in it are. Because I know based on your reporting that you've talked to both Catholic and Protestant protesters in Hong Kong. Yes, it was actually very fascinating for me as well as a Westerner. I was very surprised because um, I've seen various protests in the Western world, and I've never witnessed people singing, you know, Christian uh, hymns. Um, and in Hong Kong, where Christians are a minority, where don't you don't even expect to, uh, you know, hear Christian hymn anywhere, hymns anywhere. You had them chanting, thousands of them chanting together and holding hands. Um, and, you know, in the Western world, we're majority Christian, and yet you never see anything like that. So the Christians in Hong Kong are more, I, I'd say, more practicing. Um, they hold their faith uh, more strongly. And um, the other Hong Kongers really respect Christians for their faith, something that you don't really see in mainland China, where you supposedly have freedom of religion, but it all all has to be sanctioned by the Chinese Communist Party. So, for example, the Vatican came to an agreement with the Chinese government about appointing bishops, but all these bishops had to be approved by the Chinese government. Um, and also you have in mainland China a lot of discrimination against Christians. Um, both Protestants and Catholics were telling me that um, ch- their churches were being uh, burned down in, mainland, in some areas of mainland China. And even uh, actual persecution on behalf of the government, of the Chinese government, like altering the Bible um, and making it more compatible with uh, Chinese communi- the Chinese Communist Party. And this is very interesting because you quote a pastor in your First Things piece and you said, you quoted him saying, we fear that Christians in Hong Kong will suffer the same fate as Christians in mainland China with our churches being burned down, our leaders having to be approved, and our Bible being changed to suit communist propaganda. So how did how did you seek out these Christian leaders? Uh, you know, you actually, you also describe this uh, mass chain stretching 30 miles across the city of, of people holding hands. Was the Christian character of some of these protests or partial uh, protests obvious, or did you have to seek out these Christian leaders and, and ask them what their stake in all of this was? Um, no, I actually, initially, I didn't have to seek out. I was told on Friday when I first arrived that there was a Christian rally. Um, and so I went there, and there were thousands of people there, and they were holding, they had, were wearing sh- uh, shirts with crosses and was, um, saying, God bless Hong Kong. Um, and then it transformed eventually into this big chain that stretched across the entire city um, among non-Christians as well. So you see this collaboration with uh, Christians, and they're very active in the protests. And when when they were they were coming out and, and doing these protests, they specifically referenced what was going on in China because right now, like throughout this entire year, there's been sort of an unprecedented crackdown on Chinese Christians, with police officers having quotas for the number of people that they have to arrest. So, was there the sense that the extradition bill could be used to arrest Christian leaders as basically following a belief system that was at at odds with the with the Chinese Communist government? Well, they fear, generally speaking, that the more China takes control over Hong Kong, the less freedoms they will have. 
Um, so that was the general concern. Um, and like I said before, the Chinese government assured uh, Hong Kong that that extradition bill wouldn't include political or religious crimes. Um, however, they don't trust uh, China to make these calls. So yes, they do fear repercussions in that respect. And I went on Sunday to Mass, and uh, I attended this local uh, Catholic church. And while I was there, I didn't publish any pictures because I didn't want to uh, show the, you know, where I was. Uh, but during the ma- meeting, like I wanted to protect the Christians there because they were telling me that they didn't want to be identified. And even the priest who I interviewed said the same. Um, but during the mass, he was, um, when he was making a uh, talk, he was saying that uh, he was praying for the victims of the extradition bill, and he was criticizing China for its investment in the 5G technology and saying that we need a spiritual investment. So the sentiment is pretty much opposed to China, but they're also very uh, secretive in a way about it. Um, so, yeah, they're very courageous in that respect, too. So for for the people who who were not in Hong Kong have not witnessed what's actually going on and 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 right now I think our listeners probably have a pretty good sense now of what this was all about what the Christian stakes in this protest were all about and of course one of the reasons that I found your work was because I was trying to find somebody who had been in Hong Kong had the perspective of having actually been on the ground and attended the protests and I see even on your Instagram page you posted quite a few uh, pictures of you at the protest in Hong Kong so what was that like one of the things that I I find extraordinary about what happened in Hong Kong uh, especially now that they've actually they seem to have achieved victory that the extradition bill has been uh, been totally withdrawn where you have this uh, as you describe it spontaneous movement it's it's leaderless it's decentralized they're they're demanding that their freedom be respected you have china sort of looming on the border and nobody quite sure what they're actually going to do you've got images of protesters grabbing tear gas canisters and and dropping them into buckets of nitrogen to 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 render them useless and it's just it, it's 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 rare to see a spontaneous protest uh, and just sort of raw, unfettered in favor of, of freedom and democracy to see it succeed like that. So what was it like for you to, to be there, to witness it? What was the feeling on the ground? Kind of give our listeners a sense of, of, of what, what it was like to experience the Hong Kong protest. Um, sure. Uh, at the beginning, like I said, it was peaceful. But towards the end, when the uh, protesters reached destination point, the riot police was waiting and that's where you saw things escalating. And it was really quite dangerous. Before I went, I wasn't sure what to expect. And I spoke to a journalist who was there who told me, oh, you need the full face gas mask and a helmet and a press vest. And I thought he was, you know, exaggerating a bit. But actually, when I was there, I realized he was right. And um, yeah, because you you get hit by, well, I was hit by a rubber bullet on my arm. Um, when I was on the side of the protesters. So the police don't really discriminate, even though I was wearing a press vest, uh, which is a yellow vest. It's very, you know, it's very easy to see. Um, I wasn't hurt or anything, but it's just uh, very dangerous. But I was very impressed by the organizing capabilities of these protesters who, like you said, they're very um, decentralized. Uh, They're not, they don't, it's a leaderless movement. And yet, they know how to deal with tear gas. They know how to deal with rubber bullets. I mean, they use the umbrellas, for example, as a shield, like a Roman shield against the rubber bullets. 
Um, but they were very um, determined. Um, at one at one point, they even um, took bricks from the floor, from actually the ground. They carved them out and they threw them at police um, when police was, were charging them. They wouldn't back down at anything. They were very fearless, like nothing I've ever seen or heard of before. Um, as a journalist, to be there, it was, you know, there a lot of adrenaline, but it was very interesting um, to witness something like that. And when you, when you talk to the, the Hong Kong protesters on the ground, one of the things that, that I find very interesting, like I, I have attended many different protests, I have interviewed many different activists, and so... I understand that there are activists who are willing to put themselves out there. They're willing to put themselves on the line. But when you're starting to hit numbers like 1.7 million Hong Kongers, when you're starting to to basically achieve a, a huge percentage of the population, you're no longer just talking activists. You're talking ordinary people who are willing to head out on the street because they realize what's on the line. So when you, when you were talking with them and, and interviewing them uh, for the reports that you were sending back, uh, what did they what did they tell you about their motive and what was putting them out there, especially the people who who aren't activists by nature? They're not inclined to that, but we're just getting out there with everybody else. Um, they wanted the uh, government to respect their demands, and uh, some of them said that they even uh, were earning less because, for example, uh, there were two uh, waiters working in a bar who said that for the past month they've basically not been earning anything, uh, but that they still supported the protest. So you see, re- really see this commitment and this sacrifice, and you see people from all segments of society. You see uh, sometimes during the week you have uh, people at work organizing small protests like that don't really get that much coverage in the media because they're not as you know, sensational, but you have nurses organizing small protests or teachers. Um, so it's really interesting to see uh, this variety of people and and really the magnitude of people coming together. So when you heard the news today that uh, the extradition bill had been now formally withdrawn, what do you think will happen next? Do you think the protests have now uh, like grown to critical mass and won't end because it took so long for the wishes to be respected? Or do you think that this will be seen as a definitive victory and that most people will sort of pack up and go home uh, until until this this threat comes up again? Um, that's a really interesting question. I've been trying to figure this out, and I think it's too soon to, uh, to tell. But from what I've gathered from the Telegram chats I'm in of some of these uh, organizers, is that they're not going to stop, that they're going to continue. But, of course, these are the more determined protesters, Maybe the more moderate ones will um, sort of calm down and not partake in the protests anymore. But as far as, you know, the people, um, the more involved protesters, they seem like they don't want to stop because they don't feel that all of their five demands have been met equally. Um, so Carrie Lam, the chief executive of Hong Kong, said that the extradition bill was now fully withdrawn. Uh, that is obviously a victory, but the protests have developed um, and have really uh, escalated to such a point where that's not the demand that they even care about the most. They want an independent uh, inquiry into police brutality, and they want full uh, election of the executive. Um, and so, uh, and they want a retraction of the protesters being called rioters, labeled as rioters. 
uh, by the government, and also they want uh, everyone who's been arrested, all the protesters who have been arrested, to be released because they don't feel that they're being treated fairly under the law. There's a separate commission prosecuting them. Uh, apparently, as there are more than a thousand people have been arrested, so they want all of these demands to be uh, respected equally. Um, maybe the more moderate people, like I said, will not partake anymore, but. As far as I can tell, even today, protests have continued. So uh, my final question um, is, you've written these reports, especially on the Christian aspect of these protests. And so the people that are are tuning into this podcast, I know that a lot of them will sort of wonder, what should should Christians in the West know about what is, is going on? in Hong Kong, since that's that, that's what uh, your, your reporting really focused on. So just to make sure we haven't we haven't missed anything. Uh, yeah, I really want to know, is there is there anything that Christians in the West should know about what's taking place in Hong Kong in regard to the, the, the potential plight faced by by the Christians there? Yes, they should know that Christians in Hong Kong, first of all, exist. I'm sure many people didn't even probably know. And they're a big part of the population. They're uh, one-tenth of the population. And uh, they're very faithful. And um, they, I believe, more faithful than many people in the West who are maybe nominal Christians. Right. Um, and they fear... Uh, they fear that the Chinese Communist Party will take more control over their region and that they will lose their rights, uh, like religious freedom, which allows them to practice their faith freely. Um, and should, you know, Hong Kong be part of China fully and not have its independent legal system, then that would mean that obviously Christians in, in Hong Kong would suffer the same fate as Christians in mainland China. And also you have another problem. Um, in Hong Kong, which is the Chinese immigration. Uh, so it's gradually uh, turning the region around and making it pro-Beijing. And you have a lot of uh, discrimination against Christians in mainland China, which might come to Hong Kong as well. Well, Alessandra, thank you so much for taking the time to have this discussion with us. It's it's been, it's been really enlightening, and I'm just glad somebody was out there on the ground covering this aspect of the story. Thanks so much for having me. Ladies and gentlemen, that was our special report on what is unfolding in Hong Kong right now and and what the Christian aspect of these protests is. Thank you so much for joining us, and we do hope you'll join us again soon.